This is Project Keto. I'm your host, Madeline Evergreen. This podcast is a result of my lifelong experience searching for the answers to my health struggles. I'm here to teach you the how-tos, practical tips, and tactics to eating a ketogenic diet. No more deprivation or confusion when it comes to your amazing body. Let's jump right into today's episode. Hello, friends, and welcome to Season 6, Episode 7. Today, you are going to learn the whole process of digestion and a number of things that can typically go wrong with digestion. And this fits so well with our Season 6 theme of Back to the Basics because I find that so many people don't understand what actually happens when you eat food, like what are the names of the organs, where does the food go, where do the enzymes get secreted, all of these kinds of things are really important to have at least a small grasp of if you want to be able to take charge with your own health. Because if you don't actually know how digestion works, like at the most basic level, it's hard for you to understand much more about your health. It's kind of like if you have a plumber and you want your plumber to fix a problem, but they don't really know how pipes work and where the pipes go and like how does the garbage disposal even work and what even is that and what is it called. So today we are going through very basic information, but it is life-changing for those who don't already know this. Before I start in though, I want to remind you that you still have until November 22nd to join my chocolate cake course. So you might be thinking, why is Madeline talking about chocolate cake? Isn't this supposed to be a health podcast? Aren't we talking about keto? Well, this is a chocolate cake course to learn how to make my absolutely amazing, delicious, gluten-free, sugar-free, dairy-free, grain-free, low-carb, perfect for diabetics, perfect for keto people, chocolate cake and vanilla buttercream. And of course, if you prefer white cake, there are directions on how to make the white cake version of it. It's so good. This is the cake that I served at my wedding. This is the cake that I make and sell to customers out of my home. And people just absolutely love it, especially people who already eat sugar and gluten and a lot of carbs. And if you're working on getting off of those junk foods and you want a recipe that's definitely going to work and you want to learn how to actually make it successfully, then you're going to want to sign up for this course. I find that if you just give somebody a random recipe that has kind of tricky ingredients like coconut flour or coconut milk or Lakanto or some of these other kinds of sweeteners, oftentimes people that haven't worked with those things for years really struggle and their their baked desserts don't turn out right. They turn out really dry or have a weird aftertaste or the whole thing collapses and drops or it's so moist that it's like you almost have to eat the cake with a spoon and there's just a lot of issues that can happen. So definitely go check out my chocolate cake course. I'm putting the link in the show notes. The show notes are at www.projectketopodcast.com backslash episodes backslash S6E7. Go check it out and there's going to be even more really good surprises in these show notes today too that you'll hear about at the end of today's episode. So let's start in and go through this process of digestion. And we are going to go through 
10 steps. Now, this could be expanded to thousands or even maybe millions of steps. There's so much more to this, but these 10 steps of the process of digestion are some of the most basic steps that you must understand in order to know how your body works. So number one, your brain and your eyes think about or they see food. You're anticipating eating food. So this would be like you're about to eat and you see the food is coming or you're thinking about eating. That is actually the first step in digestion. And when you see or think about food, an enzyme called amylase is produced in your saliva. Amylase is used to start the breakdown of carbohydrates. So what I want you to take away from this, you don't have to memorize the word amylase, you don't even have to fully understand that amylase breaks down carbohydrates, but it's important that you understand that a very critical enzyme is produced in your saliva when you anticipate eating. So if you skip that step and just start shoveling food down and you you didn't really spend a moment or a couple minutes anticipating, you didn't really produce the important amylase enzyme in your saliva and then we already started off on a bad note. So that's step number one. Number two, the food goes in your mouth and you chew the food. Chewing the food is important for two two big reasons. Number one, it allows the amylase to mix with the food. So it's actually starting the amylase to mix up with your food and any carbohydrates in your mouth, in the food, are gonna be starting to be broken down by amylase. And then the second piece of chewing is that it actually physically breaks down the food. That's pretty obvious. I'm sure that you already knew that. But most people sort of skip over this and they go choo-choo and then swallow and they're not really chewing fully. You want to chew your food way more than you think is necessary. Just keep chewing, keep chewing, keep chewing until your food is totally broken down into a paste and then keep chewing. And this is going to be important for a few reasons. One, you really want that amylase mixed in well. Two, you really need your food to be smooth and no lumps, no big chunks going down your throat into your stomach. And that's going to be obvious in a few minutes when we go through another step. Another reason it's important to chew a lot is because that chewing action signals other parts of your body to start to produce important enzymes for digestion that you'll need later. So chewing is a signal for other other steps that are going to come up later in this process. The third step is pretty simple and obvious. You swallow the food, it goes down your esophagus and lands in your stomach. Step number four, the food is in your stomach and protein breakdown starts to happen. So hydrochloric acid, which is also known as HCL, is in your stomach and your your protein is broken down by the HCL. So you've got this stomach, it has the food that you chewed and it's kind of being churned around in there and the HCL, the hydrochloric acid, is mixing with the food and it's starting to break down proteins. HCL is so important and it's going to come up for probably the rest of this entire podcast. Now that you know what it is, 
it's just going to keep coming up. It's a critical, critical, critical step in digestion. It's not only important for breaking down proteins, but HCL also kills bad bacterias and parasites. So we're never going to just have sterile food. You don't want that. That's not a good thing. So when you eat, there are always going to be some pathogens, maybe some parasites, maybe some bad bacterias in the food. That's just nature. That's not good or bad. It just is what it is. And HCL is supposed to take care of it so that you don't get sick. So here are some signs that you might be able to see that you don't produce enough HCL. Do you get food poisoning frequently? I know I used to get food poisoning about once a month or so. So if that's happening, that might be a sign you're not producing enough HCL to kill off bad bacterias. Another sign that you might not be producing enough HCL is if you have acid reflux. And I know that seems so backwards, but that is going to come up later. So hang tight if you're wondering about that. Let's move on to step number five. Your pancreas produces some digestive enzymes. So these are going to be more enzymes that help to break down carbohydrates, fats, and proteins. We're going to keep it as simple as that. And remember that when you were chewing earlier and when you were anticipating eating, some enzymes were being produced. Signals were happening to produce the enzymes to get ready for the food. So this pancreas that is what I'm talking about. The pancreas is producing digestive enzymes that are going to like squirt out onto the food after it's leaving the stomach. So if you didn't really anticipate eating and then you barely chewed your food and you swallowed these big chunks of food, they landed in your stomach, well you already missed the the amylase in your mouth being produced and then you missed producing enough HCL so then the, these undigested, undigested particles of food kind of are these big lumps. They leave the stomach too early. They're not really broken down and then your pancreas didn't really get the signal to produce enough enzymes and so we're really starting a problem here. Okay, but let's say it all worked out and you were relaxed, you anticipated eating, you chewed enough, everything's going great, you had enough stomach acid, you're breaking down all your food, then the pancreas is going to secrete these enzymes to help break down the food even further. Step number six, your liver makes a digestive juice called bile. And bile is that black stuff that helps you to break down fat. Bile is then stored in the gallbladder. So sometimes people think that your liver squirts out the bile. Nope, your liver makes bile and then it moves to your gallbladder, which is a separate organ, and your gallbladder is storing the bile so it's ready to go. So as the food passes through the beginning of the small intestine, bile squirts out onto the food and starts to break down fat. This is a critical step. Lots of people have trouble with bile production. Either they have thick, old, sludgy bile that doesn't really squirt out and it's kind of clogged and it's not really great, or some people actually don't have a gallbladder at all. They've had theirs surgically removed because they had gallstones 
and now they don't have great uh, bile mm, work. What would the word be for that? They still produce bile in the liver, but it's not ideal if it's not being stored in the gallbladder. So those people typically need to do um, some supplements, which we'll talk about later. But ideally, as the food starts to travel through the beginning of the small intestine, your bile is secreted from the gallbladder and you can break down fat, and that would be a great thing. Now, did you know that bile is the reason that your poop is dark brown? Bile is pure black, and it makes your poop turn a dark color. So if you're pooping out light-colored poop, like sandy-colored or kind of clay-colored, that might be a sign that you're not producing enough bile. And some people, I'm going to say something a little bit icky here, some people have had an experience where you vomit so much, like maybe you've gotten really, really, really sick, and you vomited so many times that this black stuff starts coming out and it's terrible. It tastes absolutely horrible and you're vomiting black stuff. Usually it's after you've already been vomiting for many hours. Well, that black stuff, that's bile. So you know kind of what it looks like and what it tastes like if you've had that awful experience. I hope that that's never happened to you. Moving on to step number eight, the food is traveling through the small intestine where nutrient absorption is happening. So some more digestive enzymes are produced in the small intestine and the food is moving through and the most of your nutrients are being absorbed into the bloodstream at this point. So we don't have a lot of absorption before this and not a ton after this, but the small intestine is really there for nutrient absorption. We move on to step number nine, the food passes through the ileocecal valve. You don't really have to know that, but if you know it, it can be helpful later. The food passes through a valve called the ileocecal valve into the large intestine. And in the large intestine, a few things happen. Water is absorbed from the food. So we get a little bit of hydration from our food here. The water is absorbed into the rest of your body. And Bacteria in the large intestine break down the remnants of the food into vitamin K and B vitamins. And then everything else becomes poop. So did you know from this point back, it wasn't called poop yet. Now that all of the nutrients and the water is removed, now we call it stool or poop. And then the last step, step number 10, the stool fills the rectum and there are receptors that send signals to your brain that it is now time to poop. So if that was all new information, you might even want to pause here and rewind and re-listen to that a few times and maybe even go on your computer or on your phone and pull up a diagram of the body. Like try to find a diagram where you can see all the different organs. You're just looking at the torso where you're seeing the esophagus, the stomach, the liver, the gallbladder, the small intestine, the large intestine. And that can be really helpful to look at that and follow along so you know anatomically where all of those organs are in your body. And again, if you're wondering, why do I need to know any of this? Just tell me what to eat. Well, the truth is, is that nobody can just tell you what to eat. We can all give suggestions. We can say what we've done. We can tell you, maybe try this, maybe try that. But if 
if somebody could just tell you what to eat, then this podcast wouldn't be happening. You wouldn't be listening. You wouldn't be searching for answers because everybody's body is so different and everybody's circumstances are different. And the best thing that you can do is actually become your own best doctor. Yes, get help, you know, have appointments with experts, continue learning, reading, listening to podcasts, but you really do have to become your own best doctor. And you have to start to learn how your body really works. You don't have to learn it at a, you know, a crazy high level, but if you don't already know all of the organs that are involved in digestion and, and how the food moves through your body and what happens, well, then you just can't get very far with helping yourself. So it's so great that you're listening and you're already taking charge. Now let's go through just a few situations or circumstances that can go wrong with digestion. We'll go through a couple today and then we'll go through even more in the next episode. This is where we get down to the nitty gritty practical information that I know most of you are more interested in than the anatomy. So one thing that can go wrong is eating in a stressed state. If you're eating while you're driving or walking or watching stressful TV or arguing or standing up or you're in a fight or anything like that, then you are in fight or flight mode, which is called sympathetic. You're in a sympathetic state. Not like you have sympathy, but it's a different kind of thing. Your nervous system is in fight or flight mode. And the digestive enzymes and the HCL and the bile aren't going to be produced very well if you are in a stressed state or a sympathetic state. The body thinks that it needs to be on guard for a stressful event, so it stops prioritizing digestion. So here's what you can do. Eat in a relaxed state. Sit down, relax, maybe take a breath, maybe say some gratitude, something to get yourself to get centered and calm and take your time eating slowly. Avoid any stressful situations while you're eating. Maybe if you're in a stressful situation, wait until you can get out of that and calm down before you eat. And when you relax and you see your food or you smell it, the digestive enzymes and the HCL and the bile are all being produced in advance and everything is going to work so much better. Eating in a relaxed state is probably the number one step that people skip, and it's probably the most important one. It's easy to just cast it aside and think that it doesn't really make any difference because in the moment, other things feel more important. It feels more important to work while you're eating or to just get your food down because you're in a hurry or to eat while you're driving. Those things feel like they don't really make a difference, and it's just one of these steps that almost everybody skips. But I promise you, if you start doing this every single time you eat, you will feel a change. You're going to feel like suddenly your belly doesn't get as distressed from your foods. Your belly might even feel flatter. You might not have so much gas or bloating when you eat Of course, it doesn't necessarily fix everything, but it really is more important than what most people think. This second step is the same. A lot of people skip this one or think that it doesn't really matter. Not enough chewing. That's the step. 
Chewing activates the release of amylase, that remember that's the enzyme that's in your saliva, and it activates all of the other enzymes in HCL and different important things that need to be secreted down the line. If you don't chew enough, those enzymes are not produced and your food enters your stomach without already being started to be broken down. Large pieces of food are not digested well in the stomach. So when you swallow big chunks, they can rot in your stomach. You can have putrefying food in your stomach. And stomach acid isn't designed to break down a big, huge chunk of food. And I'm not talking about like a a huge piece that you would think of like if you just put a large piece of steak in your mouth and then swallowed it whole. I'm even talking about if you chewed a couple of times and then there was just small pieces that you swallow, like little chunks. Your stomach thinks those are big pieces and they putrefy and rot in your stomach. (gasps) That's not good. I'm guessing that nobody wants something called putrefying going on in their body, right? Rotting food in the stomach starts to produce its own acid over time to break itself down. And this acid is what people feel when they have acid reflux or heartburn. So if you've ever experienced burping up acid or a burning in your throat or sometimes even throwing up in your mouth like a little bit of food comes up or maybe heartburn, that is actually not your own stomach acid. That's usually a sign that you're not producing enough HCL or your own stomach acid and you have rotting food sitting in your stomach that's producing its own acids to break itself down. Isn't that amazing? I think that's just incredible. Nature is absolutely phenomenal, but it's not a fun experience. Then you start to burp up that acid, and it's not a good acid at all, and it's very uncomfortable, and it creates a lot of stress in your body. It creates lipopolysaccharides, or LPS, which we won't go into, but if you've ever heard of LPS, this is how it starts. It just creates this ricochet of stress in your system. And then people who have putrefying food in their stomachs have bad breath. So if you have bad breath or your husband or your friend or you know people, oftentimes it can come from them having rotting food in their stomach and that stinky stuff comes out through their breath. So something to think about. So what do we do about this? Well, luckily, it's free, it's simple, and everybody can do it. You chew your food more than you think you should. Continue chewing longer than it takes to smash your food all the way down to a paste. And as you chew, the the amylase is going to be mixing with the food and starting to break it down. Here's a tip. Put your fork down while you're chewing. It's so tempting to put more food in your mouth while you're still chewing. And you just keep shoveling it in without noticing. The best thing that I've done to get this habit is to actually set my fork down, put my hands off of my plate, maybe put them in my lap or, or you know, just get my hands off of my food while I'm chewing and then remember to chew more than I want to chew, then I swallow and then I pause. I don't immediately take another bite. I pause for a little bit, then I start in again. What else can go wrong with digestion? Well, the next one would be not producing enough stomach acid. We've already been touching on this. So eating in a stressed state can cause HCL production to stop. Remember, HCL is the stomach acid. 
Also, certain medications like proton pump inhibitors or other stressors do the same thing. When you don't have enough HCL, you cannot break down the proteins in your food. And you also need HCL to kill parasites and bad bacteria. Remember, we already talked about that when we went through the process. People who don't have enough stomach acid typically experience acid reflux and heartburn. So what are you going to do about that? If you're already eating in a relaxed state or you're already chewing and you're really doing those two steps thoroughly, but it hasn't corrected this issue with the heartburn or like burping up acid or belching after your meals, or maybe you still have a sense you're not producing enough HCL, like you get food poisoning all the time. Or another sign is after you eat a lot of protein, if you get really tired and have to lay down and take a nap, or you feel like your food is just sitting in your stomach, well, those are all signs that you probably need to actually take some HCL supplements. I take these I'm, I'm finally down to a really low dose. I used to have to take a high dose. Lots of people end up taking HCL supplements, and they're very safe, and they're very, very, very helpful and can be life-changing for some people. So I'm going to warn you right now, if you have an active open ulcer in your stomach, do not take HCL. Just that's not going to be for you, and you would know if you have an ulcer. If you don't have an ulcer, then it's okay to take this. But, you know, if you're currently on proton pump inhibitors or taking acid-blocking medications, you might want to work with a practitioner to actually wean off of that first, get off of that medication, heal for a little while, and then add in the HCL. And it can be really helpful to work with somebody who knows how to guide you through that. But if you're not having an open ulcer and you're not currently taking acid blockers, then it's safe for you to try HCL supplementation. Many, many people need to do this. So how do you do it? Well, you would want to really understand the dosage directions because it's very specific and needs to be taken properly. I'm going to link to a really high-quality HCL. It's not expensive. It's actually one of the cheaper supplements out there. But um, I'm going to link to a good one in the show notes at projectketopodcast.com backslash episodes backslash S6E7, like Season 6, Episode 7. Um, I'll link there my favorite one that you can order. Don't be buying supplements from Costco or the grocery store or Amazon or places like that. They're just not going to be safe or healthy or good quality at all, and it's not worth it. So go in the show notes to find this link. But here's your dosage instructions. You take your HCL tablets. They're not capsules. They're always tablets. And the first time you have it, you're going to eat a meal that has protein. So if you have zero protein, don't take the HCL. But if you've got some protein take one HCL tablet with that meal and take it sometime in the middle of your meal, not before you eat and not after, but sometime after you've already had at least a few bites and you're still going to eat at least a few more bites. Then wait about 30 minutes or so and pay attention to your stomach area or kind of where your solar plexus is. If you don't know where that is, Um, It's where your rib cage meets. It's kind of below your chest in the center. It's way above your belly button. You might want to look up 
where is the solar plexus and look at a diagram. Um, but that kind of region around the, stum the stomach and the solar plexus area, pay attention if you feel a warming sensation within 30 minutes or so after eating. And if you do, then one tablet was actually too high of a dose for you. Side note, I've never met somebody who starts out and one tablet is too much. It just usually doesn't happen. But it could. So if one tablet was too much for you because you got that warming sensation, then the next time you eat, you're going to break that tablet in half and try half a tablet. Or maybe the HCL isn't appropriate for you. But most likely you won't feel anything after one tablet. So then the next meal that you eat protein, you're going to have two tablets somewhere near the middle of your meal. Wait about 30 minutes and within that time, if you feel the warming sensation, then two tablets is too much and your dosage moving forward will be one tablet. But most likely you won't feel it. So if you didn't feel a warming sensation, then the next meal where you have protein, try having three tablets. And eventually you're going to feel that warming sensation and then you know to decrease your dosage by one tablet. And then every time you eat protein, you're going to have that number of HCL tablets somewhere towards the middle of your meal. If you exceed about seven tablets, don't keep going. Just stick with seven tablets per meal and eventually you're going to feel that warming sensation or you might even feel a, a little bit of a burping up acid feeling again someday and then you know it's time to decrease the dose. Like for me, I had to take about seven or eight tablets for a long time, at least a year, maybe more. And then one day I felt that warming sensation and I also experienced a little bit of burping up acid, which I hadn't felt in a long time since I started the tablets. So that was my signal that my body is ready for less. So I took six tablets for a while till it happened again. Then I took five and after years I'm down to taking one or sometimes I take half a tablet with my meals. And it does take time because you have to do a lot of healing in the meantime to get your body to start to produce its own stomach acid so that you don't have to take the supplements. Something else that is really important with this HCL topic is to avoid drinking water or other beverages with your meals. Drinking water with your meals is going to dilute your stomach acid significantly and it just makes it so it's all watery, it's not very strong, and you can't really break down the food. And if you're drinking sparkling beverages, those are typically very, very alkaline, the opposite of acidic, so they alkalinize your stomach and make it even worse. Try not to drink any liquids for at least 30 minutes before your meals and maybe even an hour after your meals. A few sips can be okay if you're very thirsty, but if you're super thirsty while you're eating, that's a sign that you haven't been drinking enough water throughout your whole day or even days before that. So you should already be loading up on lots of water and hydration at times when you're not eating and then you won't have that problem. Now you might be wondering, how do I take my pills without drinking all this water? Here's what I do. I chew up a bite of food and when I'm about to swallow my food, I 
put the pill in my mouth with the food and I swallow. So I take almost all of my pills without water, unless those are ones where I'm taking them on an empty stomach and I am having water away from meals. But with my meals, I just swallow my pills one at a time with a bite of food. So let's talk about just one more situation that can go wrong with digestion and then we'll go through more and even some more complicated ones in next week's episode. So our last one for today is maybe having a hiatal hernia or a sign that you have a hiatal hernia would be if you feel really full after only a small meal or a couple of bites or you feel like your food is like trapped in your stomach and it doesn't really empty and it's just sitting there for way too long. Those are signs typically that you could have a hiatal hernia. A hiatal hernia is where the stomach is actually pulled up partially through the diaphragm. So your esophagus is that tube in your throat that the food goes down. The esophagus attaches into the stomach. And Uh, before you get to the stomach, your diaphragm is like this big kind of like blanket or kind of like this big cover that goes over the organs and there's a little hole through the diaphragm for your esophagus to pull through. You might want to look up on the internet a diagram. If you haven't already done that from what I said earlier, pull up an image of these organs so you see what I'm talking about. But if your esophagus gets stressed and kind of shortened, like it's tightened, like you maybe you threw up and your esophagus lurched and it pulls up. That's just one example. Then it pulls up and your stomach pulls up with it and it actually can tear the diaphragm a little bit and be pulled up partially through the diaphragm. So imagine if you had a balloon and it's this big round balloon and then you take a rubber band and you tie the rubber band around the middle of the balloon so the balloon is bulging on one side and bulging on the other side and it's like two big bulges with a tie in the middle. That's kind of like what happens to your stomach when you have a hiatal hernia. So your stomach gets pulled up partially through the diaphragm and now the food has to, it lands in the top part of the stomach and then it has to squeeze through this squeezed tight part of the stomach to get through to the bottom so it can keep moving. And in very serious cases, I've actually worked with somebody who had this, the whole stomach could actually be pulled up above the diaphragm. It's not always just partially. If it's a, if it's really bad, the entire thing can be pulled up and that is not a good case. So I've struggled with the hiatal hernia and if I'm being honest, every single client that I've ever told to go check if you have a hiatal hernia, they end up having one. It's so common. Pretty much everybody in my family has struggled with the hiatal hernia. It's just way, way, way more common than you think and it can happen for many reasons. It can happen if you vomit violently, but it can also happen just if you are are having low stomach acid and you're burping up a lot of that acid that's created from the rotting food that we talked about a few minutes ago. So if you're constantly burping up acid, it's it irritates your esophagus. That's the tube that the food goes down in your throat. It irritates the esophagus and it shortens your esophagus time and time and time again until it starts to tug on your stomach and pull it up too far. 
So some problems with this are that you're going to feel bad. You feel really sluggish and tired when you eat because it's such an exhausting process. You're going to feel really full after just having a small amount of food. You're going to feel like your food is just sitting in your stomach and it doesn't go anywhere and then you might end up with that rotting food in there. And sometimes it just feels like tight. Like people feel kind of like full and bloated up under their rib cage and like it just feels really uncomfortable for some people. So what do you do about this? Well, go and see a chiropractor who is trained in pulling the hiatal hernia down. Most chiropractors know how to do this. Some of them are really, really good at it. Some of them barely have training on it. So try to find somebody who is really well trained in this. I go and see Dr. Mark at One Agora in Bloomington, Minnesota. So if you're local like me in this area, then go see him. But lots and lots and lots of chiropractors can do this. And all they do is kind of feel around in your organs. They just kind of press on your belly in a few places and they can tell very quickly if the stomach is pulled up. Then they just kind of press their fingers in and tug it down and you'll feel so much relief. It feels really good once they're done. It's a little painful when they do it. Um, Painful kind of in a good way, but they pull it down and you feel so much relief. And then there's a lot of work to be done after that. If you don't do anything different, your hiatal hernia is just going to keep coming back and you'll have to keep getting it adjusted over and over and over. I do not recommend getting surgery. This is not a helpful option for a hiatal hernia. Surgeons do do this all the time. They actually um, surgically move the stomach down and then they put in a mesh net over the diaphragm so that it doesn't pull up. And First of all, it's never great to have foreign objects put into your body. Second of all, these mesh nets move or break or it just happens again. The stomach gets pulled up through the mesh net. They don't work. It's not a solution. It just doesn't work. So don't do that. Just work on it with the chiropractor or look up some self-adjustments for the hiatal hernia online. On YouTube, there are tons of videos and exercises you can do on your own to get the stomach to drop down. So this is something that I learned I had to do in between my chiropractic adjustments. Otherwise, my stomach just kept pulling up. And in order to keep it down, I would have had to go to the chiropractor multiple times a day, which clearly is not going to be a sustainable practice. So I would go to the chiropractor, you know, every couple of weeks and then in between I would have to do these exercises and self-adjustments to get the stomach to pull down. And since this is a podcast, I'm not going to try to even describe these these exercises with my words. It's better for you to just go online and find different ones. Some of them involve jumping, like you drink a lot of water and then do these special kinds of jumps just to get the stomach to kind of like thunk down. Other ones involve pressing your fingers in or having somebody else press their fingers in and it's kind of like a self-massage. But they're really important that you keep up with so that your hiatal hernia doesn't just keep coming back. And then again, those adjustments are not going to heal the problem. If you don't want to have to keep doing adjustments forever, then you're going to have to do some healing on your own. 
So using hydrochloric acid or HCL supplements can absolutely help because it stops yourself from burping up that rotting food into your esophagus and it stops the esophagus from being irritated. Um, preventing yourself from vomiting too much can help. So if you're a person who has bulimia, you probably have a hiatal hernia. So if you're vomiting frequently or maybe you just get sick a lot and, you, and it's not an eating disorder, but whatever reason you're vomiting, if you can find a way to prevent that from happening so much, that can help. And then consider eliminating foods you are sensitive to. So food sensitivities will absolutely cause a hiatal hernia for sure. So you've got to get down to the problem there. And then eating in a relaxed state and chewing your food enough is critical. So those two first points we talked about that a lot of people like to skip those steps, uh, you've got to make sure that you're doing that. So that's all I'm going to go through today. That was a lot of information, and I applaud you for sticking to the end and listening to this this all. I hope that you start to apply some of these tips to yourself so that you're feeling really, really good with your digestion. And remember that almost all of these are free things that you can be doing right now, like relaxing and chewing your food while you're eating. That's going to be so, so important. And before we finish up today, I want to share something that I have been loving lately, and it's been getting ready for the holidays. And don't turn off the episode right now because I'm giving you something really good in a moment. I'm not just going to talk about my holiday decorations. I have a really fun little freebie for you. So I've just been so excited putting up my twinkly lights. I put up one of my little tiny Christmas trees, not our big real tree yet, but I've been getting really excited. And something else I love doing to prepare for the holidays is thinking about recipes and what am I going to make for the holidays. And most of you know that I personally have been eating a meat-based diet or carnivore diet. So I'm actually not going to be eating many or even any holiday desserts, but I really love making them. I love baking Christmas cookies. I love making cakes. I love making pies for people, and I love to give people food and share food. That must be my love language. I love sharing food with people. So for Christopher's birthday, um, I think it was two weeks ago now. I don't even know. It was last week or two weeks ago. He wasn't really in the mood for cake, so he wanted me to make him an apple pie, and I made this delicious, amazing, gluten, sugar, and dairy-free apple pie. Yes, it does have apples in it. (gasps) Some people on social media um, were shocked that I would serve apples, but you know, there actually can be benefits from eating some higher carb foods on occasion. I'm not talking about eating, you know, muffins from the gas station or junk foods, but I'm talking about once in a while cycling in some carbs like some fruit or some starchy vegetables on occasion. That can be really helpful for some people. So Christopher wanted apple pie, so I made him this amazing delicious apple pie and I am sharing that recipe with you. So just go to the show notes at projectketopodcast.com backslash episodes backslash S6E7 
and you'll get the free apple pie recipe. And it's so good. It's so delicious. I'm going to be making it again for Thanksgiving and maybe even again for Christmas time. And I cannot wait for you to try it out and let me know what you think. So you can tag me when you make your apple pie or when you get your recipe on Instagram. Just find me at Madeline Rosie Evergreen. I love to see when you guys make these recipes. It's so fun. And also, don't forget to rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts. I absolutely love doing this. And your way to pay it forward to me is to do a rating and a review so I'm able to reach more people. And that's all for now. Next week is going to be Thanksgiving. I hope you have a healthy, happy, delicious Thanksgiving. Although I think I will be having another episode come out before then. So I'll catch you next time. <laughs>